0: We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful chapter we're going to look at and, and see your vision of us as your, as your bride. And Lord, help us to really grab hold of the way you see us as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Behold, you are fair, my, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes within your locks. Your hair is as a flock of goats that appear on Mount Gilead your teeth are like the f- flock of sheep that are even shorn which come up from the washing every one of them every one bear twins and none is barren among them your lips are like a thread of scarlet and your speech is comely your temples are like a piece of pomegranate within the within your locks your neck is like the tower of David Built with, for an armory where, where whereupon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two young rows that are twins that feed among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows fly, flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. And we're going to stop there. Uh, this one is... In its literal translation, just a beautiful description of, of, his, of his bride. <laughs> but you know, this has deep implications because this is a picture. This whole Song of Solomon is a p- picture in the spirit world of Jesus with the bride or his church and the way he sees his church and, and everything. So this is just a really beautiful picture of that. He says, behold, you are fair. And literally, it means beautiful. And just for good measure, he says it again. You are fair, <laughs> you know. Uh, and you can picture this if you've ever been in love—that especially that first-time love—or you're, you're seeing everything in the eye, you know, through the eyes of being in love. You uh, know, and this is where people make the biggest mistake when they get married. A lot of times, they're getting married when they're in that infatuation stage, where everything's perfect. That person can do no wrong, and that's when their friends say, "Well, you know that they're." <laughs> You know they're saying these things behind your back or this is what they're doing, and they go, "Oh no no, this person is just perfect there's you know I can deal with them, and that's when they get married and they wake up and they see that person for the first time <laughs> and you know without all their good behavior and without all their <laughs> you know makeup and, and and perfect stance, you know we do the same thing you know and you've done the same thing to them, and he's kind of at that stage, but this is Jesus talking, and he never leaves that stage you are beautiful. And we are beautiful to Jesus. He will always see us that way. And that's the good news that we have is he sees us that way, not just because he chooses to, but because he clothes, we're clothed in his righteousness so that when he looks at us, he sees perfection. And I love that the God and Jesus see perfection in us if we're his children. If we're not his children, he sees our own righteousness, which is filthy rags and ugliness. And this is the thing about this, and this is why it's so fun when you witness to people and you go, you know, how do you think you're going to go, well, I'm just going to try to be good enough. Well, you're not, and neither am I or anybody else, because your own goodness is filthy rags to God. And this is the thing that people don't understand. When people go, well, I think I'm going, I hope I'm really good enough to go to heaven. They're going to stand before God, and he has one standard, and that is perfection. And the only way we can have perfection is to be in Christ by accepting that sacrifice. The rest of the people are going to be standing and going to hell, not because of the sin they've done, but because they are not perfect in their righteousness. They're going to be standing there in filthy rags of their own righteousness saying, hey, God, look at me. I'm looking really good. Look at all the good things I've done for you. And he's going to look down and say, I don't let stinking filthy rags into heaven and we're going to be condemned. Jesus paid for the sins of the world. And when we stand before God, it's going to be in Christ or out of Christ. And if we're in Christ, God sees perfection. If we're out of Christ, he sees nothing but filthy rags that we think are good from the earthly perspective. And you know, it is really hard sometimes to talk to people, and even Christians get into this get into this mindset. I'm saved by the by the grace of God and his mercy, and then I try to live as if I have to earn my salvation with him. And we've got to be careful because we can't be doing that. For by grace are we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace. And God's not going to let us earn our way into his pleasure because we can't, number one. And he's not going to let our pride stand up and say, "Yeah, yeah, God, you're just so lucky to have me. If it wasn't for me doing all these good things, you know, God, you are just so, it's so, you're, you're so glad I'm on your side. And God's just laughing at it. You know, can you, can you picture, you know, you think about the, you know, your, your little child, you know, that's helping you. You know, helping you make something or do something. You know, and you're going back and you're fixing up everything they do. <laughs> and then you get to dinner and go, hey, Dad, I, I helped I help Mom make this cake. <laughs> Uh, you know, mom, you should see the brake job I did on the car. Now, if the kid had done the car without the dad or, or person helping them, you wouldn't want to get in the car, probably. But, <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm talking about kids. You know, they just, and that's kind of the picture we are with God. We're sitting there trying to help him, and he's running around behind the scenes fixing all the mess we're making so that he gets the glory. And then he, but he does just what we do as parents a lot of times. Yeah, they did a real good job helping me, make, helping me make this cake or clean this or, or or make this table. You know. Yeah. That that little nick there, that was theirs. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the eggshells you got, that was theirs. <laughs> uh you know. But you know, God is just like that with us. He says, I see you as beautiful because you are mine and I've clothed you in my righteousness. And that's the only thing I'm gonna see. I'm not seeing all the running around I'm doing to fix your fix your problems, but he sees us as beautiful. He sees us as perfect. And then he says, you have dove's eyes within your locks. And locks here should better be translated veil. Okay, Uh, It could be the hair. I mean, they they, they battle about it. But the word in Hebrew means means veil. Uh, The veil that they still wear to this day (laughs) uh, in traditional Middle Eastern. So he says you have dove's eyes, and dove's eyes is such an interesting thought in here because I've started doing a lot of work and trying to figure out what dove's eyes really mean. Bird watchers really claim that dove's eyes are beautiful. I saw them in the pictures; they're not all that, you know. For birds, they probably are pretty eyes. You know, they've got very large pupils, very, very intense gazes when they when they film them. Uh, but it also says that doves have a singular vision. When they lock onto something, that's what they see. And that's how we are supposed to be as Christians. We have a single-eyed vision on God, if we're walking correctly. There are also, the doves have this idea of they are harmless. So he's saying, you're harmless. Uh, we saw that movie last night, and, the, and we saw how anger and bitterness can really harm a testimony and cause problems. And that's not the way we're supposed to be when we are in love with God and we're his child. We have love should be the dominating factor in our lives. Jesus told the disciples, they will know you are your, by disciples by your love one for another. And that love should also flow out, not just amongst love for the church, but love for all people. Now, how does that work out? Because I mean, a lot of people will say, well, if you loved me, you'd do everything I wanted. No, God loves us greatly, and he doesn't give us everything we want. He sometimes says, no, I'm not giving you that because I love you. I'm not letting you drink the arsenic in, in your drink tonight. Uh, you know, and you know, I've used this as an example. You know, If you love your child, you're not going to go to I-40, and, or even worse, 93 down here, yeah. and let your kid play on the road. Well, I just let you, I love you so much, you can go do whatever you want. Go, go play on that road where people are traveling 9,500 miles an hour. No, no, no big deal. I really love you. So, I don't want to make you feel bad by telling you no. But love, true love does correct and does prevent people from harming themselves. But it's done with kindness. It's done with mercy. You know, and it's very important. You know, when we were to speak the truth in love, and I've had people go, well, I'm just speaking the truth. Well, get the rest of that verse, in love. And I've heard some pastors on the radio and TV sometimes giving fire brimstone, hard, meaning, hard messages, and they really are speaking the truth. What they're saying is true. But you listen to them, and I'm going, do you even love anybody that you're talking to? Do you really love, do you want to see them go to heaven, or are you just pounding them over the head with truth? And this is something that has to be very careful. I mean, he wants us to have these eyes of compassion. The Holy Spirit comes in, dwells with us, and the Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove. So, that's another aspect we're seeing here is that he's seeing my bride is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is flowing out of my bride. And, you know, this is one of the things when we see other Christians, we know other Christians because we see that love, we see that care. And we see that concern for others. And when that concern for others and love shows up, it melts people's hearts when they see true love. Now, they may test it to find out if it's true. Well, are you just being nice to me because you want something? (laughs) Are you being nice to me because you're trying to act something different? Or is it real? And it is really great when you find a Christian who is really truly loving. Does that mean they're going to be loving every single moment of every single day? Probably not. We're human. There's things that get on our nerves. There's things that bother us. But is our love and our compassion the norm? And this is something that's very important for us because our human nature does not want to love other people. It wants people to love us. Uh, And unfortunately, if you're always asking for love and never giving it back, that gets old, and people feel that you're just using them and, and because they want, they want something back themselves. So that's human nature. You know, most human love is I'm going to love you, and I expect you to love me back, which means I'm going to be nice to you, you're going to be nice to me, and we're going to get along real well. Because we're both meeting each other's needs in that, in that way, and that's the world's way of going. And it, well, you, know, you haven't met my needs, I'm not giving you anymore. And that happens a lot. Especially in marriage, especially you know, especially in marriages, you know, well, I just don't feel like I'm being loved anymore, so I'm just not going to give you any love anymore, and that's human love. I'm not going to, you're not been nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to you, and it's a tool that gets used a lot. Uh, we it said a lot of times, what have you done for me lately? And most of us think in those terms. Well, yeah, you you were nice to me a year ago, you were nice to me last week, but what have you done this week for me? And it's a bad place to be. It's not the Christian thing to do. Uh, and, and for Christianity, we are to love one another. We're to give sacrificially. Now, granted, I understand. It, it's hard to give all the time because at some point the flesh is going, like, uh, now you do know that they haven't been nice to you back. It's like, shut up, flesh. You're crucified. I don't want to hear you. But and if we let the flesh keep crawling up, it causes bitterness. If I'm always pouring out and never getting back, it's godly, it's righteous, and the flesh will keep trying to crawl up out of the grave saying, Hey, you know, they're not they're not giving back, you know, you should you should stop, you know, quit quit doing this, you know. And we need to be very careful. And it is something that keeps popping up. The the flesh does not like to stay crucified. And that's why in the verse I love, you know, for I am crucified, it is I am continually crucified. All right, I am not just it's not just something that happened and it's all over. Yeah, it's you know, it would be nice if, if I just said, okay, that flesh is done. I don't have to ever worry about it again. That would be wonderful. Now, in reality, it is because God has done it and it, it is permanent. But on the other side, it keeps trying to crawl out of that grave you know, and pop back up and say, hey, I'm a zombie. You haven't got rid of me. I'm, I'm right here. I am not dead permanently. I'm going to keep bugging you. And it takes a lot of getting to know God, a lot of spending time in here, on the f- on the first part of salvation. We've talked about this. The salvation has three parts. The first part is where God just declares us as, as saved and perfect. That's the eternal position. How does He do that? Because He already knows what we are. Because He's with us in the future, <laughs> so He can say, "I know what you are." So I know what you are. So this is what I'm saying you are now, <laughs> or what you will be, and I'm going to say that's what you are at this present time. Then he spends our entire life making us who he says we are. And it takes a lifetime to do it. And we get victory in certain places fairly quick, and then there's other places where we hardly get victory. And there's some things that we may never get to before we die. But the good news is when we die, we become what God says we were. And and how he saw us from the very beginning. Perfect. Perfect which is something that i keep saying if we could learn as christians to begin to see his other his children and his bride the way he sees them how would it change the way we treat each other as a church especially if we truly begin to really understand and appreciate that god sees his children as perfect we see their flaws and in one sense yes he sees their flaws he knows that he knows we're not perfect the holy spirit is working on us the whole time, but he also knows what we will be and who he says we are, and that's how he treats us. And we need to look at each other and say, okay, this person's not perfect, but you know what? The more I realize that I'm not perfect and truly believe it, the easier it is for me to treat others the way I should be treating them because I'm going to treat them the way I want to be treated. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you is not that bad a thought process. God I would like people to be nice to me, I'd like them to be kind to me, I want them to love me, so therefore I'm gonna be kind to them, I'm gonna be nice to them, and I'm gonna love them. The more I understand that I am forgiven, the more I should be able to forgive others. The more I understand that God loves me, the more I should be able to love others because I'm just applying what I know God does for me. So if I'm having trouble forgiving others, it really is a reflection that I don't believe that I'm somebody who needs to be forgiven. And it really is a reflection of my problems. The more I can love and forgive others is a reflection that I know that God loves and ref- loves and forgives me. And because I'm not worthy of it, and I know that I'm not worthy of it, I show it to other people who are not worthy <laughs> of that love and forgiveness. Uh, one of the... One of the terms I've said in a lot, and I heard it the other day when I was watching War Room, they're going, you know, somebody goes, you need to give that person grace. And they go, they're not worthy of grace. And that person goes, of course they're not worthy of grace. Okay. Why do we give grace to people? Because they're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of gra- grace. It's a gift of God that we give grace. Why do we get grace? Because it's a gift of God. And we want grace. And so often, we're not willing to give grace (laughs) to others. We're not willing to give mercy. Our whole attitude about people is, God, give them what they deserve. And you can almost hear God, do you really want me to give them what what they deserve? Do you want me to give you what you deserve? And if we could hear God saying that, oh no, God, I don't want that. then don't ask me to give them what they deserve. God will eventually give people what they deserve. Ultimately, if they reject Jesus Christ, and die in their sin, die without accepting Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell. Ultimately, they are going to get what they deserve. But while they're living, God gives them so much mercy and so much rope to hang themselves with, that when they stand before God, they're, they're going to be without excuse. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't have a chance. I didn't know that you wanted me to turn my life over to you. He's going to have all kinds of places where you're going to say, you knew you were wrong, you knew you were wrong, you knew you were wrong. You're getting what you deserve. And yet, you know, and sometimes we look at people and go, God, why are they getting away with something? You know, if we were inside their skin, we'd realize that they're not getting away with it. They're under condemnation. They're not happy. They're not at peace. They're, they're, they're totally without joy. And so were we before we became Christians, if we think back. If we, before we came to Christ, remember our life, nothing was, nothing was enough. And we usually struck out in anger and bitterness and fear, and it may have exhibited itself in drugs and alcohol and sin and, and trying to act like we were having some kind of fun. It could have been somebody being very bitter and angry all the time and trying to have their way and, and make others as miserable as we were, (laughs) but you know. There's no joy in being separated from God. There's no peace in being separated from God. No matter how much they may look like, when they're alone, it grabs hold of them. And God says, we're beautiful in Him. I love it. And he says, have a singular focus on Him, and He loves that. He's, we, our vision should be completely on Him and asking Him, what should we do? We look through the Bible, and when do people get in trouble? When they take their eyes off Jesus. You know, literally, in Peter's case, walking on the water, takes his eyes off Jesus and starts sinking. Adam and Eve, Eve takes her eyes off God and starts looking at the fruit that she's not allowed to eat. And and you can picture in her mind, she's wondering, why can't we eat this fruit? I don't know what's wrong with this fruit. All these other trees look really good, and this one really looks good because they can't have it. Isn't that the way we usually think though? We have plenty of good choices that would be delicious. It would be like going to the all-you-can-eat buffet and saying this one, this one thing is off limits. You know, this one item, you can't have this one item. All the beautiful stuff around it, and, you, and we, would, we as people would be looking at that one item. Why can't I, well, that's for the dinner one. You only paid for the lunch one, it's for the dinner one. You can't have it. Well, I want it. <laughs> I want that. But the one right there, it looks really good. It you know, actually even looks better, but that one I can't have. I want it. Her eyes were off God and on something she couldn't have. Where are our eyes most of the time? Do we have those, those eyes that are singularly focused on God and His Word? You know, how much trouble do we get into when we're not focused on Him, when we don't spend our time with God each day? Uh, and I think about this. You know, I, I encourage us all the time. We need to be reading our Bible. We need to be praying each day and we probably should start our day. That's probably the best place to be. But how much trouble do we get in when we're not focused on Him? How many sins do we find ourselves wrapped up in because we haven't spent time with God and our focus on Him? And it's so easy to f- play around with sins you know, to think about, to uh, to contemplate, you know. We have no desire to do it necessarily, but the more we think about it, it starts to conceive in our mind, and whatever's conceived in our mind will eventually come out. And that is part of the problem with things like pornography. They start with playing in the mind, you know. uh, Well, I would never really do this, but wow, well, let me vicariously get this activity, and the next thing you know, you're in... You're in an affair, adulterous affair or, or committing fornication or whatever because what is conceived in the mind will eventually come out. Always. Well, I wonder how I could commit the, the perfect crime. How, how could I do this without ever getting caught? How many movies have we seen? That's what it starts with. It starts with them thinking about committing the perfect crime. And then when you've thought it all through and you think you can do it, you might just decide to try to do it. This is the way our minds work. Whatever we're not focused on God and doing things right, we will be playing around with sin. And one of the things that uh, many, most of the training things for young people about staying away from fornication is stay away from it completely. (laughs) You know, the question is not, and this is usually the question people ask how close can I get to this sin without crossing the sin? Wrong question. Okay, you know, it usually deals with sex. You know, what can we do with each other before we've crossed into the realm of sex? And because we've got all kinds of different things now, you know, is it, you know, and they'll go, is it an actual penetration? Is it, you know, oral sex, is that, you know, they're going all these different things. It's like, quit even thinking about that topic at all. Keep it pure. The Bible teaches that we're to treat each other like brothers and sisters. You know, and even in marriage we're respect each other. But you know, we're supposed to treat this person as somebody who's off limits. And the one thing I have told people, the more physical your relationship gets, the more likely you are to cross the boundary, whatever that boundary is. You know, you start out hopefully having conversations and talking and just enjoying each other. And then comes the hugging and the kissing. And before long, <laughs> they're in bed. It doesn't matter where they thought the line was going to be. You know, you need to draw your lines long before this is as far as I'm going and no further. And when I was, when my kids were growing up, I had finally learned the idea of actually no touch love before marriage is the best. Don't make make it a physical activity because as soon as it becomes physical, everything else goes out the window. And it's just like any other activity, it needs more to be satisfying. Alcohol needs more, you know. The first time you get buzzed on that first drink or something, you know, and it's, you know, it was a pleasant experience or whatever, you know, and the Bible teaches that it numbs you a little bit. But you start needing more and more and more and more to get that same numbing effect. Drugs are the same thing. Even prescription narcotics for pain end up, your body gets used to it. It needs more and more and more to eliminate the pain. And doctors are more than happy to keep. (laughs) helping you or have been in the past until the government tells them now that they're doing wrong. Uh, But you know, that is the way sin is. It's never satisfied. It, It always consumes. We need to keep our eyes focused on God completely, and he will protect us. He says your hair is as a flock of goats that appear in, from Mount Gilead, and the goats from—I did some research on that—and the goats in that region have very fine silk-like hair. Uh, most of the goats I have pet around America have very wiry hair, but apparently the goats there have very fine, uh, and they make—they make some beautiful clothing out of goats' hair in that—in that from that region. Uh, the goats I find in it, that I've pet, I wouldn't want to. Anything made out of their hair, but here he's talking about really beautiful, soft, not wiry hair like the goats in North America. Uh, but he's saying, you know, this is his picture of her. He says, Your teeth are like the flock of sheep that are evenly shorn, which come up from the washing, and every one of them bearing twins, and none is barren among you. The very beauty of this is that she has even teeth, and she has all of her teeth, <laughs> okay? Uh, and, and we laugh about that in our day and age it's you know, teeth are considered something we put a lot of money in, but I mean I'm not even talking to people for, that are in their 80s or 90s who'd never gone to a dentist when they were a kid, and in most of the world, you don't go to the dentist unless, you, unless your teeth are infected and they're pulling them out and they fall out and they're brown and they're, you know, they're disgusting looking because you don't brush your teeth every day you don't floss every, every day like we do in America so this statement to, you know, that we're reading and saying, well, gee, of course, is this is, he's saying, you're taking care, you're taking care of your teeth. And, these, and you have a beautiful smile, which is very abnormal. And you, know, you can see it. You, if you look at pictures from the people from the 40s and 50s, and even some people from, that are poor from the Middle East or Asia, and their teeth are ugly in many cases. It, or it's getting more common, but it is an uncommon thing in America for it to be true. We have a different mentality. The same thing that in America, we believe you take a bath, bath or a shower every day. We're one of the few countries that have that mentality. And we go to other countries and go, but well, everybody stinks. Because they take their bath once a year, whether they need it or not. But I mean, it's the same thing. You know, in America, we have had this idea that we took a, a, a weekly bath, whether we needed it or not, for a long time, because you got ready to go to church. And so every, every Saturday night, you took a bath to go to church. Uh, in much of the world, Bathing, number one, is a really big deal because you don't have the access to fresh water the way we do in America. And so when, he, when we read this picture, we're going, as Americans, we're reading like, okay, what's, what's the big deal? In this, for what he's looking at, he's saying, you, are, you have such a beautiful smile, you, you look good. And he's really referring to all your teeth are even. And you know that's in contrast to so many of the verses in Psalm 57:4 it says, "The teeth of the evil are like spears. You know, they're there to strike and, and draw. Uh, Proverbs 30:14 says, "The teeth of the wicked are like evil are like swords." You know, so this is a picture also of somebody who is kind, soft,. You know, their their teeth are even. They're not out there to to rip and and shred, and this should be the way we are with people when we speak to them. You know, how many times have you spoken to somebody, especially non Christians, that are just ripping and tearing, trying to tear you apart and or others apart? All they want to do is rip and tear. As Christians, our our speech should be soft. Doesn't mean it can't be hard sometimes, and and but it shouldn't be ripping the skin and trying to devour people. Yes, there's gonna be those times when we say something that's hard. Something that might even be considered cruel, but if it's spoken in love, it's designed to bring correction, not to bring hurt. And the world tends to hurt, and this is what happens when we speak in anger. If we get angry at somebody, we devour one another and tear each other up Uh, Again, the movie we watched last night was a great example of that. You know, when the pastor was all bound up in his hurt and his pain, all he wanted to do was inflict hurt and pain on others. And in his case, being a Christian, he tried to wrap it up in spiritual terms as well. And that's even worse. When we as Christians are hurting each other and wrapping it up in in spiritual things, so, well, I'm justified in doing this. David said so many precatory prayers, God go get them. And I read his prayers and I understand the heart that he felt behind them and the pain he felt behind them. But I don't believe that's the way we should be acting as Christians. We're not there to tear people up. We're not there to tear them limb from limb. We're there to build up, edify. That doesn't mean we say what they're doing is right. Okay? We, gotta be, we walk a very fine line as Christians. You are sinning, you are doing wrong, but I'm not, I'm not your judge and I'm not there. I'm just telling you, God says what you're doing is wrong. You're going to stand before before God. And we just love them enough to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. But we also love them. You know, we're not going, to stay as far until you get right. Stay away from me. I don't want any part of you because you might, you might stain me from, from what you're doing wrong. No. We just let them know this is what God says, but we show love and kindness. And this is an important thing. Our teeth are even. They're, they're, they're not jagged and ripping people. Our speech is soft and loving. Even when, even when we're saying something that's hard, there has to be love behind it. It says, your lips are like a thread of scarlet. Your speech is comely. Your temples are like a piece of pomegranate within the rocks, uh, within your locks. It's something written over. I couldn't read, uh, read it. Your lips are a thread of scarlet. You know, in literal points is she's painted her lips, <laughs> you know, put lipstick on. But I want to take this as we're going through this in a spiritual sense. The blood of Christ is covering her mouth. You know, does God's mercy and forgiveness from the blood cover what we say? Are we speaking edifying words? Are we speaking love's of, of words that are redemptive? Are we speaking words that are caring or are we speaking words that are without redemption and tearing people apart? We've all had that done, we've either done it ourselves many times, and I can tell you I've done it many times, speaking words that are totally unredemptive and harsh. And I've had it done to me innumerable times (laughs) where the speech has been totally unredemptive and tearing down and destructive our lips should be covered with the redemptive blood of christ our mind should have that redemptive blood because it starts in our mind out of the treasure of our heart the mouth speaks when people say harsh things to you it really does reveal who they are inside Uh, at work the other day they were writing on the board and they wanted everybody to write what their passion is and I really didn't want to put mine up there because everybody knows what my passion is there. Uh, they go, well, you haven't put yours up there, uh, Instructor Wells. I go, fine. So I put up there Wells, God and the Bible. And one person goes, yeah, I knew that one. I go, that's why I haven't put anything up there. You all, if you all spend any time talking to me, you know what my passion is. There's some funny ones up there. Oh, there were some strange ones up there. That's, that was beside the point. Just, but, you know, people know what our passion is. If they get to speak, spend time with us, they'll know what your passion is. What do you talk about? Unfortunately for people, a lot of people, especially unsaved, but even many saved, you find out very quickly that their passion is themselves. They're always talking about themselves. And that's something you want to be very careful of because that is the flesh. The flesh wants themselves exalted. The, the flesh wants Themselves to be God. That is what Satan's sin was. That was what he got Eve to, to fall into. And it is our problem with everything. When do I get mad? Most of the time it's when I don't get what I wanted. You know, whatever that is. So it's really hard to keep somebody from getting mad because all you've got to do is step on any part of what they, what they wanted and not do it and they'll be mad at you. That's why the Bible says, be angry and sin not. About the only way you can be angry and not sin is if you're angry about something happened and it's somebody else, and that's a rare commodity. It usually takes the spirit for that to even happen, that I'm really angry that, you know, that person's being hurt and I'm not involved. I don't, you know, it's easy to get angry at them and thinking that it may come to me eventually, and I can pretend I'm angry to protect them, but I'm really wanting to make sure I don't get protected, I don't get hurt and that's not gonna be the right anger. But we look at somebody and say, that is wrong. That is wrong and it can't continue. And then we can can be able to be angry without sinning. We still have to be careful we don't cross lines because there's still lines that we can't cross in our, even though we're angry. Uh, again, come back to our movies. You know, he attacks the kid who accidentally killed you killed his friend instead of you know, doing, you know, having him arrested or whatever, but you know, he physically attacks him. He physically draws the war, the, the war to, to somebody else. You know. We do that when we get angry. We do that when we don't feel our rights are being met. The good news for us, if our flesh is crucified, I have no rights to defend. It all belongs to God, and he's my defense at that point. And life is so much easier when I let God be my defense. That's how that movie ended. You know, he finally gave up and said, God, you're, you're my defender. How can we work this out now? But it is so much easier when we just sit back and say, God, I am hiding in you. I have no rights because I am yours. We're called in the New Testament that we're his bond servants, which means I have chosen to be God's servant. And when, or, or slave even is a better word. You know, we don't like the word slave, but be the bond slave which means that the master can do anything that he wants with us. Tell us to do whatever he wants us to do and it's his responsibility to protect us. And It's great to have God as the one who's going to protect us and keep us and be our defender. I don't have to worry about my testimony. I don't have to worry about my rights because they're his rights. They're his testimony. I had an individual who really got upset because Something happened to her, and she thought that her testimony was going to be ruined by what had happened. And I'm going, you do realize it's God's testimony in you and not your testimony, don't you? And it took a while, but they finally got there. (laughs) And if we can really understand, it's God's testimony. That doesn't mean I go purposely out to do something to to mangle his testimony, but I keep it in mind that it's not my testimony to keep. I just go out and live the best life that I can and through his strength and he keeps his testimony he keeps his witness he gets the job done go back to my example from the very beginning the kid helping you bake the cake and you're and you're you know remeasuring things when they turn their back on you to put to put the right measurements in you're grabbing the eggshells out of the batter that when they crack the eggs and, and basically crush the egg into the <laughs> into the batter and you go in and you're picking out as much eggshell as you can. Uh, you're going back when you get a chance and re-whipping, re, re, re-whipping the lumps out of the, <laughs> out of the batter so you don't get lumps of flour in the, <laughs> in the finished product. You know, God is doing all of that for us. Saying, okay, you're, you're, you're serving me. You're doing, you're, you're doing the best you can. Now I'm going to help you make sure that the service is good. The singular eye of this, you know, I was reading about this, that servants in a very fancy place or in the kingdom, the king, and the person who was their master didn't say much. They had like hand signals or something that the people, because you didn't go yelling across, your, across the place. The servants watched you for certain signs to, that they knew what to do, and they would all of a sudden just show up. Which is how we're supposed to be with God. God, what is it you want me to do? Keeping our eye focused on him. Because if, you, you know, if you've ever really watched any kind of movie where the rich people are being served by their, by their, by their servants, that person is there. They want something and they're there. We don't know what that single, symbol was, uh, sing, single was or that look, or, but they knew what to look for. Do we have an eye so focused on God that we're ready to serve him with just a glance from him or just a little slight beckon, come and, come and serve me, or does he have to yell at us? <laughs> showing that we're not a good servant. And if he has to yell at us, we're not going to be the one doing the, the special, special events. You know, God grooms us to do things. And this is one of the things, is we read the biographies of these great leaders, and we, especially when they start talking about their early life, it's you know, so much fun sometimes you read them and go, hey, I, I'm like that. I'm real slow at learning things. I've had to have it pounded into my head by five different people speaking into my life. And then you get further in and it's like, God, I think I know what you want me to do. I don't. Nobody else is having to tell me right now. And you get better and better and God uses you more and more as you're learning to pay more attention to him. And that's a wonderful place to be. I wish I was there more often. <laughs> Just being able to go, oh, all right, God, you want that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk into it. I singly focused on him, my mind covered by his blood, my, my speech covered by his blood He says, your speech is comely, you know, is beautiful. Beautiful speech that comes from his servants. Speech that edifies and builds up. Isn't it wonderful when you're near somebody that is a real servant of God and you just speak with them and you walk away feeling lifted up and loved? And if you go to somebody else and, you know, you go, oh, I just had to spend five minutes with this person. Yeah, I feel dirty, I feel I feel miserable. You know, they, they, didn't have a, they didn't have a good word to say at all. Really bad when Christians are that way, but you know, there's some people that come around and every word is just negativity. Their whole world is miserable, and they're gonna make sure you're miserable with them. And Nobody is good, nothing has ever good happened in their entire life and all they ever talk about is the bad. And you're going, those people are exhausting to be around. Even if you don't participate in it and you're trying to build them up, they're still exhausting to be around. And then there's other people you feel so good being around because they're talking about what God has done and how good God is. And they make you feel so good being around them. And it's like, oh, well, God, thank you. There's, there actually are people that live, you know, live your way. And I hope that I'm on that, the side of people feel good to be around me more often than <laughs> the other way. I try not to let things get me down because I spent a lot of time with God in the first place. And then try to pass that on to others. And again, what do we say? How do we say it? Is our speech beautiful? It means that we've been spending time with God learning how to, how to speak that way. Is it harsh and, and bitter? Well, we probably haven't been spending very much time with God it really does come down to how much time do I spend with him? How much quality time do I spend with God? When we look at the story of Jesus in the Gospels, it says in so many places, he went away early in the morning as was his habit. What was early in the morning for Jesus? I don't know, but it's usually indicated before, before daybreak. He got up and he spent time just him and the Father. Uh, he didn't read the Bible, obviously, because there wasn't a whole lot, you know, they didn't have their own personal copies of it there. But he just spent time praying, meditating with God. Do we do that? How much time do we spend each day meditating on God? Thinking about Him. Reading His Word and thinking about it. You know, God, what is it? what, what would you like me to do? God, God, I just want to serve you. Forgive me. Whatever it might be, wherever we want to go. It sets the tone for our day. You know, do we spend enough time with them? Now it is amazing how Satan will try to interfere with that time all the time. You know, uh, you know, just, just having a morning, and that's when our our spouse will get up early that day just to talk to us. You know, I you know I really been wanting to talk to you, but not when I want to talk to God. <laughs> you know. Uh, That'll be when we get the phone call, you know, right in the middle of our time with God. That's when we get these really strange thoughts. This is going to be a really busy day. Do I have time to be sitting here? You know, well, we really get some bizarre thought, you know, a very sinful thought that pops into our head trying to stop us. Satan does not want us following God. And we've got to really understand that there is an enemy out there that is real. And many Christians oftentimes forget there is an enemy out there trying to stop us from following God. And he does not want it. Now, am I saying that Satan is the exact enemy every one of us is facing? No, most of us are not important enough to get Satan as our own personal adversary. We will get one of his minions, (laughs) depending on how much of a threat we are. He'll put a person over us, uh, against us. But it is his kingdom that he's trying to build on this earth that comes against us. We need to be aware of this. There is a battle that's trying to keep us from serving God. Now having said that, Satan isn't the only one out there. We have the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We have plenty of enemies within us that help us keep away from God. And if that's not keeping us away from God, Satan will have his, his enemy, his, his workers right there trying to help us out to stay away from God. We have a battle, and we need to be aware of it. Which is why we need to come to God every single day and get strength and get hidden in Him, let Him take the beating of the world, and we just rest. It's fun being a Christian. All I have to do is rest in God. What a blessing that is. God, I just I just like having you as my fortress. Yeah. God is a strong tower, and the righteous run into him, and they are safe, it says in, in Psalms. You know. And we get accused oftentimes of using God as a crutch, and I go, that's fine, I have no problem with that. I'll, I'll use him as a crutch all, if, all I want. You know, what crutch are you hiding in? Because you know, everybody uses a crutch in their life whether it's significant ones like drug and alcohol or just simply workaholism or, or even sports, money, fame, whatever it might be, there's a number of things that can be a crutch to people just as bad as, you know, just as much as God. And if if God if they want to call God a crutch, that's fine with me. I can't get by a single day without him. That's the definition of a crutch. I will take that definition as a crutch. I can't get by without God, so I will use him as my crutch. My eyes are going to be focused on Him as much as possible. My speech is going to be covered by the blood as much as possible. My mind is going to be covered by the blood of Christ as much as possible. Now I can get out from under it. I can try to get, you know, and wash it off for a short period of time and my life will be miserable when I do so. Been there, done that, we'll do it again. (laughs) Not the way we're supposed to live, but we do it because we are flesh and if we don't live daily crucified lives with Christ we or not even daily minute minute and second wise crucified with Christ we will live incorrectly and get our focus off of him and not understand and our speech will be completely poor with him you know, but it is so important our speech is it says your temples are like a piece of piece of pomegranate within the flocks and, and then I'm kind of I think he's talking more about the cheekbones than the yeah. temples because uh, the cheekbones and the temples where they come together because I can't imagine fixing your your temples popping out like a pomegranate so I think he's talking about the high cheekbones you know part of what makes makes some beauty you know makes the the face a little beautiful uh, still I think pomegranates are a little bit big even for cheekbones but he's being poetic here He's being poetic here and saying you have beautiful, I believe he's saying cheekbones here. Uh, you know, you're you know, because I can't imagine the temple's that little hole right where everything comes together. So it's just a piece of Piece Okay, small piece. Yeah, so that's beautifully red. <laughs> beautifully red that, that could be it could be painted. I didn't even think about I hadn't even thought about it possibility of being blushed. Yeah, well, you may you may came up with the point that I would never. You know, being a guy, I probably never would have thought about it being painted. So pomegranate is red, very deep red. So he, you might be very right. He's, he's actually talking about the blush being applied to the to the cheekbones to draw them out. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Neither, neither did any of the theologians that I read from the. Uh, you know, from that. I've never heard anybody refer to that, but you might be very right, and that, that definitely would be a woman's point of view because they're used to putting that, you know, blush and everything and lifting out their their cheekbones, and then that would set off the temples as well. So, okay. Drawing attention. He's, You know, that's an interesting point. You know, he goes, Your neck is like the Tower of David, builded for armor, whereupon are hung a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. He's talking about those... Necklaces that you see from the, from the African Middle Eastern places where they're totally wrapped around with, with the, with the uh, necklaces. A, ta- a tower with shields hung, hung all the way, you know, a thousand shields hung around it. High, high straight necks that were for many years the, the sign of a beautiful, you know, uh, beautiful self-confident person. You know, with their head held high, their, their neck exposed. <laughs> which you wouldn't want to do in battle, but, but he's not talking about battle. He's talking about somebody with beauty. And there is a confidence when somebody's head's held high and there's, there's a confidence in it. And he goes, because you are clothed in my righteousness, you are perfect, you can be confident. Do you realize the confidence that comes by being in Christ? The confidence of being so close to God that I'm doing what he wants me to do because I know his word, I'm not worried about discipline because I'm being obedient. I'm not worried about somebody having something to hang over my head. You know, one of the things we try to tell the, the inmates a lot of times at the prison is, you know, if you just do the right things, you never have to be looking over your shoulder. You know, if you're not doing the right things, you're always looking over your shoulder. Who, who's watching me? You know, am I going to get caught? Being able to hold our head high knowing that I've got confidence that I'm not worried about who's watching me. Matter of fact, if I'm walking in Christ, I'm hoping that people are watching me. You know, I want you to catch me doing the right things. This is one of the things we talk to so often too about fathers. Your children are watching you. Are you living a life that you want, to catch, want them to catch you doing things or are you always wondering if they're watching you at the wrong time? We as Christians are to live with our head held high, walking with God, not worried about anybody lo- seeing us. And this is, leads to a good testimony. It leads to a good avenue of people looking at us because we're able to say, yes, I've got the righteousness of Christ. I'm living in the beauty that he sees me as, and if others see me, they're gonna see that beauty because I'm confident and this is the way he sees us, as very beautiful, very confident. Um, and I'm going to go with what you said. Our, our face is all painted up. Because he's talking about scarlet lips, and I never even thought about the blush being on the temples. So he's saying, you're accenting all the positives that I want you to, to accent, and you are beautiful from this. And he desires that beauty that he creates in us. You know, kind of an interesting way to be. but. Yeah. He creates the beauty in us, and then he desires that beauty that he's created in, in us. And uh, we're going to end here because it's that time, and I don't want to go any further into these. T- <laughs> this, this, this hour went by fast. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to see each other that is your child the way you see us. Lord, help us to speak words of redemption and think think thoughts of redemption and to always reach out to help others to come to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.